0: Hello, and welcome to the Intuitive Writing Podcast, a production of the Intuitive Writing Project, a writing based empowerment program for girls and gender expansive youth. We are dedicated to giving young writers a safe, encouraging, non critical, unconditionally supportive space to write their story, speak their truth, and assert their voice, both as writers and as leaders. For a bit of background, my name is Elizabeth and I created this program 11 years ago because it's what I wanted and needed when I was young, a supportive place to be truly seen and heard. That's why we use the Amherst Writing Method, a radically nurturing and empowering writing methodology I wish everyone learned in grade school. You can read more about the Amherst Method on their website and in Pat Schneider's groundbreaking book, Writing Alone and With Others. But the basic principles and the ones that guide all of our classes are number one, everyone is a writer with important stories to tell. Number two, everyone has their own unique voice, a voice that needs to be heard. And number three, our voice will grow stronger and clearer the more it is supported and positively affirmed. In our classes, everyone writes together, everyone shares their writing, and then everyone takes turns giving each other grounded, positive feedback. By that, I mean we repeat back and lift up the words, lines, phrases, or concepts that really resonated for us. Since we can't violate the sanctity of our classes by recording what goes on there, These one-on-one or three-people conversations are designed to provide a little glimpse, a microcosm of what happens in the classroom. You can also read about our org and read our students' words as they were published on our blog, The Intuitive Voice, with the links below. If you enjoy listening to one young reader read their words and talk about it, imagine how powerful it is when six young writers are reading their words and giving each other positive, affirming feedback. It's pretty life-changing and there's a lot more I could say about it, but I'll let these young writers speak for themselves. On behalf of all the writers at the Intuitive Writing Project, I want to thank you for supporting their voices for being present and really listening to the wisdom, insight, and brilliance of young people. Today, I am so honored and excited to be interviewing one of our brilliant writers who's been with us since middle school. Um, They go by DB, and I'm going to have them introduce themselves. If you would tell us um, your age, your pronouns, when you started writing with us, and also a little anecdote about your, an early memory of writing creatively.
1: For sure, thanks so much for having me on, Elizabeth. This is so wonderful. Um, so hi, I'm Scarlett DB Mosier. I go by DB. Uh, I use they, them pronouns, I'm 21. And I think I started writing with you guys in, oh shoot, I wanna say seventh grade, sixth grade. I assume seventh grade was when I first started writing. It's very fuzzy. Don't remember a lot, but I do remember being in middle school and like we'd take the bus after school to downtown Arinda, get some yes. snacks at CVS, and go to that little place right across on the fourth floor. Um, that was so much fun. That and was you have, like so the cool. Trader Joe's Oreos there. That was yes. yes.
0: Only OGs oh, remember. <laughs> oh my god! And we had all those drinks. It was the sparkly water I that we would mix with the pink lemonade. Yes oh my god that was
1: I still crave that sometimes that was so good that
0: was so and we'd always it would always be exploding on us because I'd have shaken it by accident it was so cool you guys were so cute you would come right after middle school I'm sorry keep going no no it's okay it's
1: fine I love reminiscing um and a little anecdote about writing um so the first time I remember actually sitting down and writing or like I, that I consider myself a writer quote unquote was in fifth grade when I don't know what inspired it exactly but something in me was like I want to write a story like I want to write an actual story my mom always says that before that I'd always been a storyteller I would sit by my brother's bed and I'd come up with stories oh. um, and just like just on the spot and improv stories for him and just tell like fictional stories to people as a way to entertain them and so I think I was finally ready to transfer that to paper so I remember it was Sunday morning I got my little self up I took my mom's purple fuzzy robe and I put it on and I went downstairs to the big clunky Dell computer because we didn't have like any really nice sleek computers at that time um, big clunky Dell computer I opened it up you know, in the light of the living room. And I just started writing. Mm. And I forget what exactly it was about. I think the plot followed like a worm. This is so silly. A worm who is like taken from his home by force by these two small children um, who eventually let him go. And then he finds his family again. It was like five pages long. You know, obviously not a masterpiece, but I remember it, it took me a couple hours to write. I finished it I felt so proud of myself and I was like mom mom come look at this you know come look at this but that's like my first ever memory of myself writing and I that's felt like amazing. such a real writer with my tea and my robe and my computer like out my desk like it was just such an experience and I don't think I think ever since then it's been downhill I've never been able to get that high you know, again. <laughs> That,
0: that was that was my peak uh, as a writer.
1: Oh, right that's, there,
0: but it was great. Well, it's so climactic because you had been telling stories from the from early childhood, which is like, oh my god, talk about a born writer. But you hadn't been able to write them. So the first moment, it's like when humans discovered the symbol system of writing, and they were like, oh my god, I've carved it into a stone now it is immortalized you must have had that (laughs) moment of like I've done it I've written it that must have been and you didn't have the inner critic yet so you just it was like pure creativity
1: exactly right I wasn't doubting myself every other sentence I was just set and ready to go nothing was stopping me I was gonna write that short story
0: i love that do you by any chance still have it anywhere like in a box or? i don't think i do it was my dad's old
1: computer and i don't think i ever printed it out i do wish i still had it sometimes but oh unfortunately not that's you know, actually it's a um,
0: it's a really good idea because worms get picked up and thrown all over the place so it makes sense that a worm would would get knocked away from their house and have to return (laughs) that's so brilliant i love that you had that idea and i also love that you had like the whole aesthetic the robe and the tea
1: i was yeah i was like so i needed to get into it i needed to get into the mindset you
0: know that's such a writerly thing i love it i love it you clearly a born writer um and you are now i know i didn't ask you this but um if you would tell our audience where you're going to school, what you're studying.
1: Oh, so I go to school at Bryn Mawr College out in Pennsylvania, and I'm currently studying, doing a dual major um, with English and Classics with a minor in Film Studies at Haverford. Since at Bryn Mawr, you can major or minor at our sister college, Haverford. I am planning to change my English major to a Creative Writing major because that finally got added as major for the first time ever at Bryn Mawr College. So I'm planning to change mine. Hopefully it won't be too late. But Oh, yeah, yeah. you
0: can change it. You got time. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. awesome. That is so awesome. That's so true to yourself. Also, I love that we talked about that before, but bringing in the magic of the classics, the history of that time into a film, a modern film. I'm oh, excited okay. for the the movies you're going to be making. Oh, Very soon. It's just a matter oh, of time.
1: Hopefully, hopefully cross
0: my fingers well i wanted to start today by having you read um an excerpt from a much larger story that is like everything you wrote extraordinary it it is beautiful poetic deep it feels oh, like it's already God. been written and it's the, the like a novel that's already been completed oh. i'm going to say how you taught me I'm to right pronounce now, it right? but okay. i want you <laughs> no it's true but i want you to tell the our audience where, how the pronunciation comes from? Because you have, you actually know Latin, which is amazing. It's pronounced a Wicta, but A-wikta, it's
1: yeah. spelled
0: a v i c t a. Which readers, listeners will see. There's a link to this story underneath. <laughs> um, but tell us how the how you know how to pronounce it. The yeah, Latin. So,
1: um, from what everything I from what I've been taught in a Latin class, uh, all throughout high school and into college the general kind of rule is that V's are pronounced like Ws. So instead of saying Mount Vestuvius, it would be Mount Westuvius
0: which is silly. Oh but my that's God. It is. I didn't even um, think about yeah. that.
1: And so Cs in Latin as well, generally kind of rule of thumb are always hard Cs. Um, I don't really know a good example. For example, say the name Calmus, which comes up is a name of the character in my story. I guess you might see that and be like, Salmus, but it's really it's calmus. So every C has a sort of C H kind of K sound instead of more of an S sound. Oh well how about
0: Carpe Diem is a C, but it's a hard K sound.
1: It's hard C. Yeah. Carpe Diem. Um Yeah, I'm trying to think of a word that has a soft C that I could replace with a hard C, but I'll think of it later if that you know, if it pops up, I'll say it.
0: That's amazing. You did have a really great latin training at miramani high school i have to say they have a I know, really great to Yeah,
1: they, right? the latin program was insane
0: yeah it's such a <laughs> it's such a um specific knowledge that it's you don't often get to talk about it so that's why i wanted you to get to explain the name it's a really great name and it's the name of a character in your story So um, I'm gonna just go ahead and have you read it. Say the title again, because I love hearing you say it. And then um, just a reminder to everyone that this is just an excerpt of a larger story.
1: For sure, so it's titled Awikta, an excerpt. What are you hungry for? Awikta couldn't shake the fool's words from her head. Hoping that sleep would calm her nerves, she'd taken to bed earlier than usual. The moon hadn't even passed the middle of the sky before she stumbled into her tent. She thrust herself into her pillows, smothering her face in silk and tassels. Overwhelming noise and flashing lights swam in her head, the buzz of shouting men still ringing between her ears. Her arms and legs sank into the cold cushions like stones into water and feeling just as heavy. But nothing seemed to quiet that question in her head. It rang clear as a bell above the hum of pain. What are you hungry for? Awicca let out a loud groan, cumbersomely swinging her body across the cushions. Her eyes faced upward now, meeting with the full moon and stars shining through the sheer fabric above. To her surprise, the light of the sky was softer. And the darkness behind her eyelids. Maybe I'm hungry for the moon. Awicta thought, letting out a slight chuckle. It does look delicious. She felt her body soften, sinking down into her bedding. The noise of the rabble below faded. Voices overtaken by the murmur of the night breeze. Gentle breeze swept under the fabric of her tent and across her face. A cool hand caressed her cheek as if to say, Look upward. Look at the stars. Look at the moon. Awikta obeyed. And, for a moment, peace. She wasn't here, wasn't at the camp, wasn't by her father's side, wasn't lying with the cold stone beneath her and ritual knife above. Not a body, not a mind. A wind, a breeze, a light, a leaf, a cloud. Weightless in the stars, ebbing and flowing with the rise of the sun and the setting of the moon. A sudden sadness swelled in her throat. Mm. And that's all.
0: That's so beautiful. Again, like your language is so poetic. This last oh. paragraph in particular, I feel like you could just pull this one paragraph Put throw in a bunch of line breaks and you've got an exquisite poem. But this is, of course, a narrative. It's a story. It's a poetic mm-hmm. narrative. And I, I love yeah. how this writer writes. Um. So I'm going to just share a few things that I just so appreciate. And then I want to ask you about your creative process. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I love how we're introduced to Awikta. Um, She's trying to sleep which is such a a relatable we can all relate to the struggle of sleeping but she's in a beautiful mysterious outdoor setting that then becomes the tension and the suspense and the mystery builds as the as the writing continues because little elements are introduced that we're like oh wait a second okay she's outside oh wait she's at a camp oh wait there's a ritual knife above her there's like as we get towards the end i'm i'm I want readers to get to hear the whole story um, because there's a lot more going on that meets the eye, but I feel like the writer leads us down the path and gradually shows us like slowly peeling the onion, the magic of this character in this story. Also, I just love how everything is described um, when she's, I know this came from We'll talk about this because it's, it's part of the creative process. One of the prompts was the question, what are you hungry for? And what this writer did with that prompt is so genius. And then that line where she's she keeps asking herself what she's hungry for. And that line, maybe I'm hungry for the moon. It does look delicious. There's this whimsical, magical, I think the word that I would use for this piece is magic realism like it's definitely reality but there's some there's a something another layer of magic to it something almost supernatural and you can hear that in the way she's thinking and um oh i love the description of the noise actually the very beginning yes um when she's talking about the question in her head it rang clear as a bell above the hum of pain which is incredible um sound imagery and then when we go down later on the noise of the rabble below again we want to know what is the rabble below the noise of the rabble below faded voices overtaken by the murmur of the night breeze love the sound effects in this <laughs> if this was I think when you first read this in class I was feeling like, the writer was cinematically describing this story because we were getting all the senses we were hearing it we were getting oh textures we were getting visuals it was like the way that you describe things feels like a camera panning or like an audio cue this is what we're gonna hear it's very visceral I feel like we're in the camp with a victor a victa. <laughs> I was hoping you'd feel that way that's good <laughs> So I wanted... It's just beautifully, beautifully, beautifully described. It feels like an epic novel. I wanted to ask you, I know that you were coming from that prompt, What Am I Hungry For? But beyond that, you obviously took the prompt in a really rich, juicy, interesting direction. Did you have the idea for this story before our class? And then if you had been working on it before... How did you get to this particular scene? Did did it unfold gradually or did you know going into it what it was going to be?
1: Yeah, so that's a good question. I definitely, I kind of developed this world and the characters and I've been, I have been working on it since, let's say like the second half of freshman year. So the spring of freshman year in college. So about like a year and a half, two years ago, yeah. question mark. I'm not great with time. But so I've been working on it for a little bit and kind of tweaking things, and they had the general plot kind of thought out in my head, and I've been turning it into a screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, going into the class, I didn't really know if I wanted to write about this or do something else or kind of, you know, get out of this story I've been working on. Um, but when I read the prompt, some, I was like, oh, this is connected to my story. I don't know why, but, like, it felt like something I could expand on and so i thought thought of this as a good way to kind of as an exercise almost um, a good way to practice and kind of get into the head of my character um because the is the main character yeah she's the main pretty much the main character she's the person whose point of view we see most often in the story so i was like it'd be good for me to kind of get into her head more and really describe the scene and kind of capture her emotion through and her character through not only just her internal monologue, but also through um, the scene itself and the um, environment
0: itself. The environment is what you describe in this. So, well, I want to read again, because it's so powerful. I was just noticing like almost every sense has been expressed in this paragraph. She thrust herself into her pillows Smothering her face in silk and tassels. That right there. Oh my God. There's a whole story behind the fact that her pillows are silk and tassels. And then overwhelming noise and flashing lights swam in her head, the buzz of shouting men still ringing between her ears. Oh my God. That's an incredible paragraph. Visuals, audio Mm -hmm. cues, and it implies like this whole other story that's happening before we begin the scene her arms and legs sank into the cold cushions like stones into water and feeling just as heavy that's like gives us this physical like that feeling we can all understand what that means that feeling of heaviness I feel like all of our senses are activated just in that except for maybe taste but all of our senses mostly activated in just one paragraph and I think you're really You've always been really good at this world building and place setting, sort of taking us into the setting of the the story. So we feel like we're there. OK, so I wanted to ask, now that we know you've been working on this for a while now, how mm-hmm. far along are you? Where is this moment in the larger story? So in as for
1: how far along I am, woof, um, I kind of got I got pretty far into it. And then I was like, oh, I want to scrap this. I don't like this. And then I scrapped it. And so at this point in the screenplay, I'm like, I'd say like 20% into the plot. Um, I'm still deciding if I want to do it as sort of a feature film or just as a TV show. So that would and that would really oh. change the pacing and how I do it. So I'm still figuring that oh. out. Um, this happened specifically, I'd say I'm like 40. To 50% through the plot-ish. Um yeah, it's kind of hard to place because it she is in the army camp a lot. So this could definitely be a moment, any like from a number of moments okay. uh within the story. I would say though that, that this is kind of before the big plot, the big kind of middle plot point. So I'll okay. say about like 45% in.
0: That's so amazing. And you have in your head then the whole story. You know, like the larger trajectory. Mm-hmm. That's
1: Pretty much, so yeah. Awesome.
0: It's so right magical. Now, I do, I might
1: change. But,
0: yeah. Yeah, right. No, it's true. It's an evolving process, right? I just think everyone who doesn't write fiction, and I include myself, I'm a, a nonfiction writer, and I love reading fiction, but I don't think. I can't. It's just not my skill set. And I think all of us who can't write fiction, especially long format fiction, are in awe of people, writers like yourself, who, I mean, you have to basically be God, goddess of your world. You have to create everything. You have to create all the characters, the setting, the emotions, the stakes, the theme. Everything is your creation obviously a lot of people successfully do it because we have many amazing fictional books in the world but i think it's magic i don't even i
1: know i get so into my head about it sometimes although i'm like oh like you know because i try to base off everything the the country i'm basing evictus kind of country or kingdom that she's from is a roman spartan hybrid more roman than spartan but it's kind of tough (laughs) because it's like i want to make you know put in little references to roman history, but. That means you know, I kind of have to do a lot of research about Roman army hierarchies and kind of especially warfare history, because so that's a big part of the story. So that's and that's not my field, studying history. So it's been a lot of research and a lot of just yeah, reading through Wikipedia articles and studies and it's yeah, but it's it is fun. I think once you see the result at the end, you're like, oh, this is good. And sometimes there are moments where you come across a name or a certain like historical fact or structure. And you're like this, 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 I want this in there. And it's so
0: much fun. I love that. I think I'd love you to talk more about this research process for all um, fiction writers, historical fiction writers, because I do think you really do have to invest some time up front or in the middle of the process, probably throughout the process to be reading about like how it actually was. And then, What you just said is so interesting that you you look for those little. I guess it's like the juicy dramatic bits that you feel like that would be really great to dramatize in a story. But what you said, you look on Wikipedia. What are some of your resources when you're researching?
1: So I use JSTOR most often. So JSTOR is your kind of go-to for a lot of historical academic articles, and those will be those are great for research because it's often scholars talking about their silly little niche thing that they like and it's easy because it helps you cut through a lot of the unnecessary often information that you don't want. Like if I want specific information about how Roman legions internally like structured themselves. Uh Wikipedia might give me a whole article on Roman legions and I'd have to kind of scroll through them. Or I could go to JSTOR, um which should be I think if you're in college or maybe even in high school it should be free to access. Um just go to JSTOR and I'll look at, you know, I'll Google Roman Legion, or not Google, I'll type into JSTOR, Roman Legion, so like structure, and there'll be a bunch of articles from scholars specifically talking about the structure, which is really helpful. But again, Wikipedia is a pretty good resource. I know a lot of professors and a lot of teachers, not actually professors, I haven't had professors knock Wikipedia, but a lot of kind of teachers will knock Wikipedia as a source, but honestly as long as you check their sources because they will like cite their sources at the end if you check their sources and like they seem fine like wikipedia is a great place to start and it's very accessible um That's also just books yeah
0: i'm gonna include i just found their website it's j s t o r dot org JSTOR. yes JSTOR. i think that i have Stumbled upon it in my own research, but I did not know what it was until now. So we're going to definitely include this link so mm-hmm. other people can use it. This is brilliant. Explore it so the world's easy, yeah. knowledge, cultures, and ideas. And you basically just type in what you're looking for. That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And it does seem like you can, I think anyone can edit Wikipedia, whereas JSTOR seems like this is very carefully curated.
1: Yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's great. Like, especially, even if you're just writing an essay on any historical topic, or even, like, literature-related topic, it is so, so helpful. Because these are, not only do they, are they, like, reputable sources from actual academics that your professor or teacher will appreciate, but they are very specific. And also, they often, JSTOR will just give you the citation on the side. um, You don't have to cite it yourself, which is really helpful, because, ugh. I once had a paper where I had like 50 citations and it was so much easier to just copy and paste (laughs) rather than having to put it in each time, the easy bit. I was, yeah, help me not lose my mind.
0: Of course, that's great. That is so helpful. And then can you talk a little bit about, I mean, I know it's personal for each person, but in your own experience, what are those historical details that are usually most usable, compelling for a story? What are you looking for
1: i, I oh it's hard because a lot of what i'm looking for is for me it's military i'm not that into military history so it's not as interesting to me or compelling but what i find most compelling often is religious structure so mm. the religion and i'm still kind of figuring out how i want the religion in this world to work um what i'm most intrigued by is how i want to somehow use the vestal virgins which were a roman group of priestesses who were who guarded the flame of, oh God, was it Hestia or V? Ve- Hestia is Greek. I think Vesta. What is the Rome or Vesta? Is the Roman version of Hestia? Um, Jeez. so they guarded the, this flame, and if the flame ever went out, not only unfortunately but typically, were the vessel one of the virgins blamed, um, because wow. they were supposed to be virginal, and if the flame went out, it was assumed that they had broken their vows. Rolling oh, my, my eyes because of course. Um, of course early patriarchy
0: yeah Yeah.
1: exactly but it was also bad for rome because i think it meant bad things for rome um but so i'm really really interested in somehow incorporating this idea of the Vestal virgins and that sort of religious structure into my own story i haven't found a way to do it yet without directly copying it but i think it would be interesting for it's kind of a challenge for me to adapt that I'm really inspired by how specifically um, George R. R. Martin adapted his uh, adapted English. I forget which exact what Protestant sect exactly he used, or what type of Protestantism he used. But he used a lot of different religious influences to create the religion in Game of Thrones, which I found really uh, really interesting. Um, especially like interesting. the Sparrows and the Sept. Yes, I thought that was cool, and I am interested. Okay, I kind of want to do something that he, the same thing that he did. That sounds like that
0: might be a paper you're gonna write in college. <laughs> Maybe. Like I you'll be the one to do that research, because I mean, unless it's been researched before, it might be your topic. It's really, I I mean, I'm also fascinated by religion because it's just a a really um, intense distillation of culture and philosophy, mm-hmm. and so like yeah how do you take these different religions and i've also so many times heard references to the vessel virgins but didn't know anything about them so i'm i'm all for this i love this idea i think you'll figure it out which actually leads to our Brilliant. next thing which is like where i mean what's cool about historical fiction is that you do have it's almost like your are prompt it's like ideas that get you started but then in the end Of course, it's fiction. You have to create your own thing. And where ideas come from is such a mysterious, magical thing. I don't know that we can ever know where they come from. But I'm just wondering for you, where do you most often, where or when do you most often get inspired? Like when an idea pops in your head?
1: Oh, so I'm a very visual person. And I, like, instead of just kind of hearing or, reading words in my head, if that makes sense. I see everything in pictures, which, and often I see I'm most inspired when I'm listening to music and walking, which is kind of a strange combo. But anyway, I often take like two to three walks a day around my neighborhood and I'll be listening to music and kind of imagining these scenes in my head. And it helps me work through like what I want to seem to look like or where I want to go with these characters. Um, and that is where I get a lot of my inspiration um, that or the historical stuff. I'll be reading a book, reading a book, especially reading a book, um, researching, yeah. and I'll come across something that just sticks with me and I have to write it down or put it in my notes. And so those are the two, I think my two main sources of inspiration, kind of walking, listening to music and reading for sure.
0: I love that. Also, what I love about walking and listening to music is you have intuitively without any rational science proving what science is proving as we speak which is that um any kind of movement that involves both sides of your body which is walking is the perfect thing activates both sides of your brain and and often okay. makes it easier to access like you can integrate left brain reason like historical facts for example oh, oh with gosh. creative right brain character ideas so walking is perfect and also music puts you in if it's depending on the music i think most music puts all of us into more of a creative state of mind oh, yeah. so you're basically you just intuitively figured out the most genius way to tap into your most creative nature walking and listening to music
1: exactly and it's interesting
0: you do it multiple times a day if you're writing sounds like I love
1: it no I do it even if I'm not writing I just like I think it's a way for me to kind of you know and walking is really good for just stress relief and I think I use it as a form of stress relief when I'm feeling very overwhelmed or overstimulated just going on a walk and kind of listening to music and being in my own zone is just such a nice way to unwind and really feel like I regulate myself
0: Cool. that is so smart and such powerful self-care if everyone in the world could have your self-awareness and everyone would take oh. three walks a day there'd probably be peace on earth i just oh, i mean god we all need that also i'm
1: very thankful i can live in a walkable neighborhood where i can walk but right I will well, say, you do it at
0: school a- too right i imagine
1: well, so at school is a little different. I so I take a lot of classes at Haverford College, which is about a mile and a half away. So often the days I have classes aren't in the afternoon. It's a little chilly outside. I'll just walk to Haverford, and I instead of walking a lot at Bryn Mawr since it's freezing outside, um, in the winter and spring, I just go to the gym every day and I'll go on the treadmill or I'll do the elliptical and like I just I kind of get the same, um. Mm-hmm vibe like not the same vibe but I get the same feeling from doing that Mm -hmm. as I do walking outside so it's It's movement
0: yeah Yeah,
1: it's movement I'm moving my body that's important for me
0: and that's really I'm glad that we're talking about this because this is honestly I think the most misunderstood not most there's so many misunderstood things about the arts but the idea that writers can just sit in a chair and write and that's all you need is to sit and no, like writing begins before you sit down that's what you're proving. And also exactly. I'm the same. I always get the best lines of poetry constantly pop in my head when I'm walking. Whereas if I'm just sitting at the computer, it's nothing. Right. You're like,
1: we're you know, you're trying to get your brain to work when you're just sitting down when you actually need to write, but then you know, you're out far away from your computer or phone and suddenly the most beautiful line pops in your head. You're like, yes. damn it. I know, I
0: know. <laughs> Oh, no. I need to write it down.
1: Sure, I know. As
0: writers, we I don't think we can be, ever be without some kind of writing device. It's painful if we don't have the writing device. I feel like a lot of, we were just talking about Victorian poets, but a lot of Victorian writers used to make it a practice of having long walks well, between chapters, and they were every day taking long walks. There's one in particular, I need to look it up, whose whole writing process was... He said he basically wrote everything in his head out while he was walking and then he would come back and put it on paper. Wow, I mean, so, that's yeah. blind, you know, I feel that. I get that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think this is why when people say, <laughs> first of all, writing takes way more time than most people realize. And when people say to me things like, well, you have 15 minutes between meetings. Why don't you write then? You can't just spew out
1: the beautiful
0: yeah. <laughs> like, you have to get into that mindset first and it is what we were just talking about like using your whole body and using music to activate your creative brain because most daily life we're in our rational brain and that's the opposite of what we need to be creative so you do need like a ritual or practices that you do that get you into that place before you start So we need, as writers, I swear to God, if all writers and artists did not have to sleep, we could get so much more done. (laughs) Because writing and art takes a long time. Oh, gosh, it does. And especially when you kind of get in your head.
1: I mean, I get in my head about it all the time. I know I shouldn't, but I do and you just kind of, you know, doubt yourself, and you're like, oh, you know, what if I don't want to, like, do this anymore? Or sometimes you just lose passion for a project, and you start over. Nice. I once did NaNoWriMo one year oh, with yeah. a project that I started out so passionate about. I finished NaNoWriMo, and then at the end, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I'm still mad at myself, but I, I can't control it. I just, like, wasn't passionate about it anymore, and so now I'm like, a little, you know, like nervous, but I think this is something (laughs) I'm going to be very passionate about that I want to
0: stick with. When that's another really good point is sort of discerning where to focus your attention and sometimes just letting yourself go with a passion in the moment, even if it doesn't wind up being the thing that you spend Mm -hmm. that is like the most important thing. You kind of have to like no stone unturned. You have to try everything, right? Until... You don't know if it's going to have heft to it until you start working. on it,
1: Right, exactly. Like, you know, I can spend all day thinking about it in my head, but it's completely different when I start actually sitting down and writing it. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of things about the story, like I ran into a couple problems when I was writing the script for it, realizing, oh, this actually doesn't work or I want to change this or add this. And so it can be really, I think, revealing in that way.
0: So would you say if you were to give advice to other young writers who maybe they have an idea they're not sure about, or they don't have an idea, <clears throat> what would you say to them about can go getting started and keeping going?
1: I mm-hmm. have so much to <laughs> say anything about that. Um, I think one of my biggest pieces of advice, which I know everybody says and it's annoying to hear, but I just find it so true is to just, sit down and write and it doesn't have to be you don't have to be like an incredible author sitting down writing for two hours every day but even if you can get 15 minutes in I think it's so worth it and in that kind of same thread when you're writing and this is so hard this is like I need to practice myself too don't ever stop yourself to delete Mm. something or to critique yourself you need to just get it out on paper Mm. and just get it the words on the on the screen on the paper, and then once all of that is done, you can go back and edit. But this is something I struggle with a lot because I have a big kind of internal critic who is constantly like, ah, that's the wrong word for that. Or ooh, what if this word, you know, you've used this word way too many times. Don't use it. It is so much more important to just get the words down. I always say to the kids that I've tutored in writing or creative writing or the people that I've helped your first draft is going to be horrible. It's, sorry, it's going to be really bad. It's going to be, you know, full of contradictions and it might be, you know, full of weird words that maybe you shouldn't have used there. It's going to be bad. That's okay. There's, that's why, you know, famous authors, they never have, they never just publish their first draft. They always have multiple, up to five different drafts of the same book. So it's fine if, you know, you feel like your writing is a little weird or clunky while you're writing it, just like, don't stop. (laughs) You know, don't stop. Keep going. Um, But again, that's something I need to practice myself,
0: too. So, Oh, it's the hardest thing. The inner critic is the invisible presence that weighs upon us all. And it's such a a killer of dreams and ideas. So I love what you said about don't stop, just keep writing as much as possible. Because you can't, you don't even have anything to edit unless you get it on the page you exactly. have to let yourself write things that may be weird and crazy at first because right. uh, then you can fix uh, them
1: and i often find too people get so bogged down by the idea of by worrying about whether or not what they're writing is like good enough is mm. is it too kind of cringy is it mm. you know kind of weird Um, or is this too self-indulgent will the people reading this like this or not will they think this character that I found the way that I've grown as a writer and the way that I've developed my writing is through just indulging myself sometimes huh. through writing that cringy fan fiction or, you know, self-insert fic that I want to write. Um, and it's helped me in the end develop, like help me develop to become a better writer because if you spend all your time worrying about whether or not this is too cringy or is this, you know, not, what's the word? Not appealing enough to mm. people then you're never going to get anything down <laughs> um, right. so i find just kind of That's
0: letting nice. yourself
1: indulge a little
0: bit is that is fine holy. and it'll help you in the end that is the best advice of all yeah mm-hmm. i think letting yourself be cringy and so often what we find cringy it's actually not other people think it's great it's just our own inner critic that has little things that trip us up and but let it be cringy and let yourself indulge and go and whatever, because if you're inspired about something, there's a reason and you just got to follow it. It's like following a lead in a murder mystery. <laughs> you got to follow the lead and see what's, exactly. if there's something there, maybe it's a false lead, but you won't know unless you go.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. I
0: love that. I love um. also just, knowing so many writers have talked about this one of the best weirdly best books on writing is Stephen King's book on writing his non-fiction book uh, his fiction stories are terrifying i can't read them but i highly recommend his book on writing and i can't remember what his number was but similar to that Annie Dillard in her book on writing lots of people have that title on writing i believe she said that for every book she's written for every 20 pages one of those pages was actually made it into the final draft so there's a lot that doesn't get used it's like exactly a lot of um a lot of stuff that doesn't even make it to the recycling it just has to be cut but i do think it's writing the weird quote weird stuff that doesn't get used leave you to the good stuff
1: yes i actually have So sometimes when I would get writer's block or I would just kind of feel like I was kind of at my wits end and I'm like, I don't know where to go with this. I would sit down and I would take my characters and I just put them in a little self-indulgent like little short story. I'm not going to get into what because I don't know how PG is. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. But that helped me, even though it definitely was something that I would never share with the world. I mean, maybe, but you know, something I usually never share. It helped me kind of develop the characters themselves and mm-hmm. help me like it's almost like they revealed themselves to me as I was writing this very oh. self-indulgent kind of bad little thing um right and right different like writing poetry about your um about whatever book or story you're writing just doing you know making art about it just doing little things that can kind of help you get more into the story and maybe maybe during that process something reveals itself to you that you didn't understand before and it can really help.
0: I love that you say reveals itself because it it very much aligns with what I believe to be true which is that somehow these magical worlds these characters they're all like floating in the ether somehow and different writers like yourself who were born to be writing these stories like pluck them down you're like tapping into almost like the characters are already beings and you're discovering them and they're revealing themselves over time and the reason I love this idea is because it takes the pressure off if you're plugging into some kind of cosmic magic other world you don't have to figure it out you just have Mm -hmm. to like let it unfold
1: Have fun yeah do something instead of sitting and worrying okay how is this going to appear to audiences how is mm-hmm. this going to you know like worrying about how other people are going to perceive it let yourself have a little bit of fun you know yeah. indulge yourself a little bit it's your writing do what you want with it you know right. no one else can to see be it anything
0: hi right. exactly. it is the ultimate magic to make a world through your book and like Again, I can't write fiction, but I love reading it. And I'm always amazed that when you read somebody's story that, by the way, we've just discussed is totally made up or pulled out of the cosmos. You feel like you've lived in that world. I mean, the most perfect example for this, J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series, she made it up, it was all in her head and she put it into books. And now it's physical, two physical places. No, 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 three physical places on the planet that have... Hogwarts that you can go physically experience it because she imagined it I feel like you your words fictional stories leave an imprint in all of our psyches that almost like it literally changes the world
1: because of what you imagine when people they love that sort of escapist I love it myself um you know that sort of escapist fantasy where you can go into a different different world and be a different person i mean i'm not a fan of jk rowling because the things she said and done
0: right yes very problematic yeah yes
1: yes, but it was a good escapist novel you know Mm -hmm. it was a good it was a structured world in which people could easily imagine themselves in and i think especially reading it as a kid that's how i felt i was like oh i can kind of redefine my identity Mm -hmm. through this new system and be this person that i want to be it's really interesting and really i think people connect with it a lot more
0: Yeah. I mean, it's affected every single book that I've read has changed me as a person. I feel like I like you can actually track my growth as a person and my beliefs and my ideas and my dreams through all the books that I've read. And Mm -hmm. fiction is especially potent because I think it takes. And by the way, actually, we should mention this, that the human brain thinks in terms of stories we are a storytelling animal we actually learn best absorb information best and grow best through the experience of stories so there's nothing i mean i'm always reading non-fiction but it's not nearly as potent as powerful as a fictional story we need. it's like more than anything humans need stories so it's story medicine yes do you feel, are there books that, what are the kinds of books that you read when you're stressed out and needing inspiration?
1: So I often read any book by Mary Beard, who is my favorite female classical historian. She is kind of just a powerhouse. I love her. She's a feminist, and she brings such an interesting take to classical history, and she is so well-renowned. I think she's one of the most well-known classicists in the field, at least, because she is so just incredible. I actually, I was thinking about applying to the Oxford City Abroad Program just so I could possibly meet her. <laughs> like, that would I would be
0: incredible. Yeah, so
1: incredible. Um, and so she wrote many good books. I think the one I'm reading now is called Redefining the Classics, which is approaching different, our understanding of the classical history and critiquing it. Um, And it's also just kind of a collection of articles and a collection of reviews of different classical books. And it's basically just scholars complaining, but I love it because I'm a scholar and I complain.
0: (laughs) We all complain.
1: yeah, Exactly. Or um, something else I read, I'm reading this really good book called Uncommon Wrath right now, which is the story of Cato and Kaiser, Julius Kaiser. Or Caesar, as we know him. That's actually a good example. Wait, hold on. Good example of the soft sea to hard sea. The the Romans wouldn't have pronounced it Caesar. They would have said Kaiser. Oh, so that's I
0: just thought that's like the most oh, obvious example, and I couldn't think of it earlier. Um, that's interesting. I've heard the word Kaiser, and I thought it was a totally different word. It's just a different punctuation yeah. pronunciation. The Germans used it as to like
1: say king. I think I'm sorry, I'm not. Well versed in German history. So kaiser is it it's either German or Russian. I think it was German Kaiser. Um, but Kaiser is Julius Kei- Julius Kaiser. Um oh so anyway, sorry, God. that was not our topic, but I just I thought about
0: that. That's it's, great. It's That's so interesting. Kaiser and
1: Cato. And it's a really good book about the dynamic between these two men and how different they were and yet how intertwined their stories were. And that sort of inspires me more in a fiction writing way because even though this isn't fiction um it's a bi- kind of a biography of these two men it almost feels like a sort of fiction book sometimes um and so it's interesting to read because it inspires me in that way compared to a just kind of collection of scholarly articles which is more historical based
0: that's so interesting, interesting. Okay, I'm going to include also a link to Mary Beard, um, An Uncommon Wrath. And I just happened to notice Mary Beard has written a book about Pompeii, which I imagine you've read. I actually
1: haven't read that one yet. I'm really oh my um, God. so excited. To so you, actually,
0: you were just in Pompeii, right? I was, yes, I was just in Pompeii,
1: which we were talking about earlier. And oh my God, Women in Power by Mary Beard is actually a really, really good read. uh, Um, It's really short, it's like 150 pages, but it is so worth it to read. It's really great.
0: This is okay, I see it. It, She's talking about highly acclaimed cultural history of female figureheads from Medusa to Merkel. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is good. Okay, excellent. Thank you for these. We always want to give people write um, book tips. That's great. (laughs)
1: Exactly.
0: Um, Okay, so my my final question would be, um, you already gave such great insightful advice, which I'm going to absorb as well about letting yourself write whatever, letting it out on the page, let yourself write whatever comes up. What would be your advice to writers who are feeling um, blocked or maybe you just don't have the kind of support for their writing that they deserve? What would you tell them? Oh,
1: that's a hard one. Um, I think to answer the question of feeling blocked, I myself went through a period about a year where I was just like not writing. I just felt like I didn't have that same passion for it that I did before. And, but I think in the end, I actually appreciated that break in that mm-hmm. year that I took um because sometimes you do need a break it's like to me it's like exercising I exercise five to six days a week but I always make sure to take one to two days off for rest because if you don't rest your muscles won't build and I think mm. that it's the same way for writing sometimes you do need to give yourself a break you need to do the things self-care you know you need to mm. go on a walk you need to take a bath and have that kind of warm water on you it feels really great um you need to do a face mask what, whatever makes you feel better um, um, whatever kind of relaxes you and just lets you kind of think about nothing for a little while I think that personally really helps because you're giving you those brain muscles you're giving your mind a chance to just rest and recuperate sleep is another thing that I know people say a lot but it's so 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 important I don't get enough of it personally I need to do more <laughs> But when we sleep, our brain and our body repairs itself. So I think sleeping mm-hmm. is another thing. And often, sometimes I'll wake up feeling better and ready to write that, you know, if I've gotten mm-hmm. a lot of sleep and I feel much better, it's, it can just change your whole outlook and energy for the day, um, which I think is so important for writing. Or even just consuming things like literature that you like. Often, if you're a fantasy book person, if you're like me, kind of a historical nonfiction person, um, when I'm reading, even if I'm not reading about the exact thing I'm writing about, I often even can just get inspired by the writing style of the author or the way they structure their chapters even. Something like that, that, can, that often is what gets me back into writing when I'm feeling unmotivated is just
0: reading someone else's work. Um, this is brilliant advice. It kind of feels like the holistic approach to writing and that writing really does require a holistic approach, really. You can't be exhausted. You can't be burning, like pushing yourself really, really hard and trying to rational think, rationally think. So much of writing requires balance and rest and self-care. Giving your I like the idea of um, what you're talking about is like a fallow period, which is what happens in nature. Like you can't grow crops all year round. You can't, trees are not growing all year round but while they're fallow or sleeping there's still a lot going on under the surface and like exactly. trusting that even when you're not writing your unconscious is percolating and you're you have your brain is sorting through ideas that will pop out as a story when the time is right
1: exactly like you know that this is where all of your ideas come from you need to take care of it if right. you can you know?
0: right it's like your soil your brain is your fertile soil you've got to give it time to rest let exactly. the worms mush around in there which is funny circling mm-hmm. back to your original story of the worm The worm, yeah we, we need worms yeah. yeah it's so funny that so much of life depends on worm poop actually because worm really poop is, is the dirt those worms yes yeah. <laughs> where would we be without them exactly but it's true. I think writing, like all art forms, but because mm-hmm. writing does, it requires all that you are, and it means you need to take care of yourself. You can't force right. things. You can't force ideas. You can't force yourself to push through a block. Sometimes you just have to rest.
1: Exactly. And to your um question about maybe writers who don't have, like, who are working with a lot of resources, I personally myself am very privileged in the sense that I've been able to have a lot of resources around me, so it's kind of hard for me to give advice to this one, Um, but I might just say something that's helped me get back into writing, I guess, when I was feeling, you know, dealing with some side effects of medication and not at my best, you know, was just developing a routine, Mm. which for, as an, both an autistic and ADHD person, I both love routine and need it. And I also struggle with it a lot. As an ADHD person, I often get into a routine I'm happy with for three days, break it and think, well, <laughs> that's it. I'm done. <laughs> you know? yeah. But what I found the best piece of advice I've come across, and especially when it relates to writing, is setting a routine. And if you end up breaking that routine, take it a couple days off, you don't, you know, get into it is always just to get back into it. It doesn't mm. matter how many days you've taken off, it doesn't matter, you know, how bad you feel about yourself. Just mm. giving yourself that grace and permission to get back into it, no matter how many breaks you take from it is so so important mm. because it's so easy to just think, well, I failed at that. I don't have this routine anymore. <laughs> but it's, you know, it it doesn't matter if you don't do it for a day. It just matters that you keep pushing yourself to get back into it and eventually you might just keep doing it, it might become something you do every day.
0: That is such great advice for so many things. I think when we, as soon as we start judging ourselves, we shut down the process on any topic. And especially with writing, if you don't have, I also have trouble with routine. Also I have ADHD oh, yeah. and it's like, routine seems mystifying to me that everyone else, it seems so much easier for them. Yeah. But <laughs> I love, I love what you said about giving yourself grace and like, okay. Mm. We fell off the wagon today. We'll get back on it tomorrow. We'll try again. It also makes me think about what they always say. Meditation teachers always say this, and I don't listen to it, but it's the same <laughs> advice, which is your thoughts have strayed. Bring them back. Come back to the yes. present. Come back to the present. It doesn't matter that you were not doing it before. Begin again. Right. Exactly. That's like, you're not good. a bad
1: person for failing. Like There's no way really you right. attached to that just bring nice. yourself back to it. It's okay. Like, it's fine, you know, and I find that when I start giving myself that grace and not judging myself, because often for ADHD people, we get into this doom loop often where, yeah, like, oh, I'm really bad at that. So I'm just not going to try and then but by not yes. trying, you make it worse, and then you feel worse. And then you're like, well, I'm not going to keep, just keep not trying. <laughs> and then it's just an oh endless cycle. True. of yeah, But once you, know, you have to break that and be like, I, you know, I'm worth enough i'm wonderful i know this is just you know so a little hiccup it's just kind of part of who i am um, and i'm gonna get back into this because i am worth doing so
0: that is so wise Scarlett. you are wise beyond <laughs> your years and yeah i think Aww. it's funny because i know yeah i know the doom loop very well i've spent a lot of time in that doom loop too. <laughs> and i think that even people who are don't have ADHD. It's like the nature of our society is we tend to get caught in this cyclical negative pattern where we're just circling the drain, talking about all of our failures. And this is so important to acknowledge it, say, okay, we're human. Sometimes we we mess up, we fail. It's all right. Come back. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Just be like, this is, you know, and especially I know myself, I know I'm not going to stick to every routine. (laughs) <laughs> that I you know come up with especially if it's something that I don't really want to do but I need to do for myself and it's just like knowing that you know even if I skip a day I'm going to get back into it and it's going to be okay everything will be fine
0: you no. remind me of a Latin phrase which I'm going to have you pronounce I'm going to put oh, it in the chat because I know that I, I have never it. pronounced it correctly but it means supposedly this was this Latin phrase I read no, it in the book Co- yes. Yeah, I think coepi. I'm not. I remember we we've seen that word. Is that a hard soft C then? Co-epi. It's
1: no hard C. Um, coepi, co-epi. Uh, coepi. I think it's coepi. So nunc coepi, but I you, don't know. You know, Latinists don't come for me if I got that
0: wrong. No, that's right. It supposedly means that you can verify this. The nun, the monk, supposedly would repeat it to themselves, and it means now I begin. Yeah, Meaning, that makes sense. I'm going to begin again. It's just what you said.
1: You now just I tell begin. yourself,
0: now I begin. Now I, I begin. screwed it up yesterday. I screwed it up this morning, but now I begin. That's it.
1: Now I begin. I, I love that so much. Now I begin. I'm going to definitely print that and put that on my wall somewhere. So I think, especially for us ADHD and just neurodivergent people. Yes. It's so important to remember
0: that. Yes. Yes. And you are the first person who has taught me how to pronounce it. <laughs> I have a way of saying it in my head, but I know that's not how it's. So now I know. How, Thank how you. Would you, I'm curious. How did you say it in your head? I In my head, I said, Nuk copy. <laughs> you know, it's pretty good. You know,
1: Latin, that's, you know, I'm not going to blame you for that. That's pretty good. Uh, the time for the pronunciation. I like but that. that
0: but say it one more time. For... A Nuk Koeppi. I think oh, okay.
1: it's co-op-y. again, Latin do not come for me if I got that wrong. I, <laughs> it, it, it's a vicious, it's a vicious academic circle. They, oh, they care about it? their pronunciations. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I love my classes, but
0: well, oh, it's hard. It's hard because most people aren't talking in Latin. Oh, Nobody talks. Now. It's no, not. A...
1: No, you don't talk in it. Well, okay. usually you don't talk in it. Some people do. That's their thing. Um, But <laughs> It's usually yeah. Usually people don't talk in Latin anymore. So it's when we learn it, like we never do oral tests or oral examinations. Okay. Uh, We only do written examinations. But.
0: But it's in everything. I mean, I love plants. Every plant has a Latin name. In medicine, is body parts. Everything is a Latin.
1: Oh, even even like words. Um, I often in Latin when I'm taking a test. If I don't know a word, I'm just like, well. What's its English counterpart? Like even coepi mm-hmm. begin to me. That's I believe the root of conception or the word conception, oh,
0: which makes sense. I, I believe so. I'm not sure exactly. But it would make sense. Of you course. Know? So that's it's interesting. Yeah, I think honest. it makes you a better speller if you know Latin, right? Because you uh, know the derivative. I hope. Yeah,
1: yeah. I still can't spell tomorrow to save my life. That that word always trips me up. But I don't know if that's related to me learning Latin or if I'm just that's just a me thing.
0: Spelling Um, is a whole other subject, and that's what we can we can end on that note. You do not need to know how to spell to write. Thank God. Autograph is (laughs) a thing. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that used to limit me. That's that's when I was not supported as a young person. I used to get my papers back covered in red ink. The teachers were like, you can't write if you can't spell. And that's not true. You well, absolutely can, can write. Spell can somebody else. A long way. Yeah. That's right. Someone else will fix your spelling. So there you go. <laughs>
1: exactly. I love that so
0: much. Oh my God, mm-hmm. Scarlet. It is such oh DB, it is such a delight to talk with you. You're so wise and insightful. I feel like what you just talked about today could be the beginning of your own book about writing, oh actually. Gosh. There's some really good insights um i'm gonna do the transcription for this underneath the podcast so people can read it in more detail because actually i want to read all the things you said were really good i want to go back and hear them again um thank you so much for your time i'm really glad that i had this opportunity to speak with you before you go back to school again because i know you're about to get really busy and also i just want to thank you for all your years of entrusting us with your talent and your stories
1: Well, thank you so much. I mean, it is such an honor to be on this podcast. I'm low-key. I'm not showing it, but I'm low-key just so excited inside. And you have been such a good mentor and role model in my life, honestly. I always think about you sometimes. I'm like,
0: what would Elizabeth do, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And then do the opposite. I love
1: that. I think you, I think when I was younger, especially you helped me just embrace that kind of weird me side of me that I think I for a long time I tried to suppress so thank you so much um and really you're the reason I think I'm still writing today so thank you I oh really my really appreciate
0: God. you Elizabeth. I'm gonna cry that's so cry. beautiful <laughs> if that's... you cry I'm gonna start crying don't do this to yourself <laughs> no that's I appreciate that because what you said about being yourself because I think Okay, now that's the final thought. That's what I want to finally say, is that to be a writer, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be true to yourself and authentic. And that is the hardest thing. That I'm so grappling with. I write things that are very authentic to myself and then I stop them because I think, oh my God, it's weird. But yeah. what makes us, quote, weird is what makes us brilliant and amazing and interesting. <laughs> And so letting yourself be authentically who you are and express your true voice, that makes great work. 100%. I
1: totally agree. Yeah.
0: It's a lifelong process, but Oh my God. I could talk to you forever. I love these conversations. Um, Thank you again. And um, maybe we'll get to have you on someday soon when you publish one of your pieces oh my or gosh. produce one of your screenplays and so
1: much pressure now, we'll get
0: so we'll face. get an early interview before the today show we'll get in there
1: oh, oh my gosh <laughs> now i've got all this pressure on me okay i've got to, no pressure no, no i'm kidding
0: i'm kidding but yeah <laughs> all right well thank you so much thank You appreciate
1: it